Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler, joined by my co-host, Tom Lewis. We're here to, you know, kind of recap the the 111-100 win over the Wizards that we just just experienced. Uh, got a lot of feelings about it. Tom, how are you? Uh, first of all, how are you doing today? And uh, give us your thoughts on the just first initial takeaway from the game. Uh, I'm, I'm doing great. Good to be here, Mark. Uh, well, you know, it was kind of one of those classic letdown situations and you survive in advance <laughs> um, no matter how ugly it may be. I mean, they pretty much had control the whole game, although it just never feels like it when uh, a team, you know, like the Wizards, they start throwing everything in the fourth quarter there. And it's like, oh, my gosh, are they going to make this a game? Uh, but fortunately, they held on. And, you know, I had a couple of bets on unders today, including the first quarter, because I've watched the Pacers so long, I know when things are going so well, like they were after that 53-point win, there's an inevitable letdown coming. And I I jumped on that fourth, first quarter uh, under today and was quite happy about it. So, hey, you know, there's different ways to win on these ugly games. Damn, so you're, you're playing for the other team. All right, I see how it is. Tom. I'll have to find <laughs> a new know, co-host. I, I mean, they were leading. They just didn't score as much. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, some major Pete Rose vibes coming from your way. <laughs> yes. But, uh, no, actually, so, you know, just to, to get in some of the good stuff, I think, uh, obviously, you know, the numbers aren't anything flash. I mean, 17 points is nice, but I uh, I thought Aaron had one of his more complete games uh, yeah. since he's been a pacer. I thought, you know, obviously, he kind of faded in the second half. He didn't get – I mean, he played 36 minutes, but it, it, it I wouldn't have even noticed that he played that much uh, outside the first half. Um, but in the first half, he was incredible. I mean, his defensive rotations mm-hmm. were really nice. Uh, yeah, like uh, he actually blocked blocked a shot, which is uh, <laughs> kind of crazy to say for somebody six foot tall. But no, he had a really good game, and I was uh, I was enjoying him out there, and he just looked steady and is continuing to. He scored well out of the pick and roll today. Uh, there was one three, well, it should have been a three. The the floater that he hit in the third quarter, that mm. he had a wide open three in the corner, and just drove for a floater. And I was like, I I mean, it went in, so I can't complain too much, but. It was just one of those things because we went back to uh, – I think we finished with 24 shots from three today. Yeah. 26. So, 26. I mean, again, yeah. low. But um, it, probably because I just watched the Rockets shoot 60 last night. Right. <laughs> yeah, rough compare there. But, yeah, Aaron was uh, – you know, I thought so. – I mean, I loved early in the game. He was Ding up Hachimura in the post pretty well. I don't know why Hachimura didn't just try and bully ball him, but he didn't. He, he held his ground and – and um, and. You know, it's kind of hard to explain the feel out there, but you can tell he's just way more comfortable um, and and seems to understand what he needs to do while he's out there on the court. And, you know, he's not always going to be lighting it up. And, and really, if you're not noticing him out there sometimes, maybe that's good because he's <laughs> yes, not doing negative stuff as well. So um, if, he's, if he's being solid and the team's, you know, going in a plus direction, um, then – you know, that's great, and, and he's he's serving his role out there. But, yeah, I mean, he, he is kind of a natural scorer. I mean, he's looking to score, and, you know, another solid game of 17 points is, is going to be a, a nice guy. When you consider, you know, fourth option out there with that starting unit, um, especially when Justin's playing, so, you know, maybe fifth when he's not. So, um, you know, another solid game. So just, you know, keep putting those building blocks down to – to expand that role and make an impact. 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I couldn't agree more. I, I'm really liking how he's starting to fit together. And um, I think he's starting to improve his, uh, at least in my opinion, I think his handle looks a lot more polished than it did, uh, you know, coming out of, I mean, coming before the hiatus happened. Yeah, right, there, right. It's, it's hard to hard to put that into words sometimes. I know. Um, his passing has gotten a lot better. I'm liking just everything I'm seeing from him. Uh, the one thing I will say, though, uh, the bench, it's not like it was an individual player's fault, but the bench just was not clicking today like they normally do. And, I mean, we saw that in the – I believe it was the third quarter. Um, the uh, Brogdon and, and TJ Warren went out for probably about a minute, and they had to come back in because the bench gave up like a 10-point 10, 10, uh, 10 run. Or that was the beginning of the fourth quarter, I believe. But uh, they, they just never really got it going today. Yeah, that was uh, disappointing because in a game like this, you know, a lot of times that bench – when, when it is kind of a letdown game, as I said before, um, the starters kind of got this slow start, that bench can come in and hit the gas and, and give them a boost and, and get things going. In this case, it was kind of the opposite. Both in, in the first half and then in the second half, they didn't really, you know, carry their weight as, as you would hope they would, especially against this undermanned Wizards team. Um, so, yeah, that, w- that was frustrating. I mean, there was a couple times – where uh, T.J. McConnell just didn't seem normal dribbling the ball. He just seemed out of sync and, yeah. and um, you know, having some, you know, uncharacteristic couple of turnovers um, that you wouldn't expect from him. So um, it, their minutes were limited too, and, and that's because uh, McMillan was, was not having it there for a while. So, you know, unfortunately, when you're looking at a, a back-to-back, obviously there's no travel, but, you know, the starters had to – like some minutes uh, to close this game out, which, um, you know, hopefully doesn't show up tomorrow when they have to face Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I'm a, uh, I, I was telling you earlier, I already, I did, I did the pregame for tomorrow already. And I think or- Orlando, obviously Jonathan Isaac's out, which that was, I don't know if you saw it, that was yeah. pretty, uh, Oof, pretty nasty. Yes, Not yes. that great. Obviously you feel for him. Um, but uh, I mean, Miles is gonna. I, I'm interested to see how Miles plays against uh, Nikola Vucevic tomorrow. He's not the same kind of. Uh, it's a little bit more finesse than power uh, in mm-hmm. terms of like the way that he scores in the post. But it's still gonna be a probably difficult matchup for Miles, or at least a uh, a competitive one for sure. So I, I think that'll be interesting. Miles had a had kind of a quirky game today. Like yeah, he, did. he was good. <laughs> it's a good way but, to put it. Yeah, like it's not like we, it's not like he played a bad game, but I thought it was playing no. outside himself a little bit. Um, uh, as Caitlin was tweeting, I was tweeting as well. He was not popping again. Keeps uh, just rolling awkwardly to like fifteen or sixteen feet, and I, like, again, you can only get, it, it's it's hard to I, to find the balance between being critical and just being kind of un, un, unkind. But like, I don't know. It's just getting to the point where it's like, dude, you gotta pop. You gotta pop. It, it's like because it, it clogged up the lanes. I think that was an issue for Malcolm today. Malcolm was having mm-hmm. you know three guys collapse on him because people were coming off miles. Um, but I don't know. I mean, he still played a good game, but it, defensively he was, wasn't quite there today. I thought he made a couple of reads that were uncharacteristic for him. And, um, yeah, yeah was, I kind of I felt like he was – he felt like he could freestyle a little bit, especially with Bryant in there. But Bryant, I mean, that guy can get buckets. Mm-hmm. And when, when uh, you know, when, when he's not focused completely on him, I mean, he, he was able to get loose a little bit. But, I, I mean, I still – I like Turner's energy um, – Again, it's kind of the same way with holiday. It's like, um, and I'm a big aesthetics guy, but mm-hmm. you know, you can tell guys who are, are you know comfortable and feeling good out there. And I felt 
like that wasn't a problem. But God, even also, you know, with Turner a few times, he'll swing the ball, you know, from right to left or the other way. And it's like, dude, look at the hoop. The guy's not, yeah, exactly. Hands are down. He's giving you the shot. Um, even a, even a pass fake would make it even more wide open. Um, and he could shoot that. And he does that once in a while. But I mean, these past two games, it's like he hasn't, he hasn't really looked for that, that three. Um, when he could have, when he could have let it go, but um, at least he got you know three out today. So we're, we're, we're yeah, that's ba- more than the last steps, two games combined. Steps. So we'll take it. So uh, <laughs> maybe we'll get to six by the end of the bubble. Who knows? Exactly. Um, one thing that was good. I mean, obviously, again, it's the the box score. I, I'm always you know on on the box score doesn't tell uh, you know as much as sometimes gets let on. Justin Holiday had an awesome defensive game. Uh, I thought, you know, I was actually surprised that he got the Hachimura, Hachimura assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of split between the starters a little bit, but I, I actually thought TJ was going to take him. But Justin did, and he played, you know, phenomenally. Hachimura finished 4-12 from the field. Um, and, you know, Justin just forced a ton of pass outs, played really, really good defense on him. And I just thought it was a hell of a game by him, for sure. Oh, yeah. he. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, he has got to be just – wiry strong because mm-hmm. um, he's able to hold up against some of those bigger bodies quite well and also remain quick and, and with the hands and, and everything. And um, again, now he's a guy that, you know, you, you might not notice him out there, but that's just because he's playing, filling every crevice in the, in the gaps defensively and, and making things work offensively without being a focal point. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm always comfortable when he's on the floor. Um, cause he, he, he knows, he knows what to do out there. Think about a pro's pro. I mean, that guy is, is so valuable, um, in his role with his team. Yeah, exactly. And I, it just makes me keep thinking about how we, we have to kind of go all out to resign him this summer. I, uh, cause I he's going to be up and I, I really Real. think, you know, I was talking he's to playing too well. the other day. Yeah, exactly. We might have to just start benching him. Just start benching him, say that there's something wrong with him. And no, that sounds yeah. terrible. Honestly, get 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 your money. You're a good player. But <laughs> I just hope it's in Indiana because I love having him here. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, – obviously, we have to talk about TJ's game. TJ I mean, was yeah. incredible yeah. again. He was it's not fielding from three as much, but he was taking them, which was huge. I mean, TJ took six threes today, which, again, yeah. I mean, that's well above his average. He normally shoots just just about three. Um. But, I mean, he was feeling it. He, at first, I was a little bit worried coming in. You know, the first five minutes, he wasn't really having it. He kind of uh, – he was getting – you know, he was drawing a lot of defensive attention. I think he went 0 for 2 in the first five minutes. And then he just started finding the bucket and was lights out again, 34 points. I mean, the biggest thing, too, is, like, it wasn't just scoring. I mean, he probably played the best defense on the team, um, at least in the passing lanes. His passing lane defense was incredible, especially when he was out on – uh, when when the Pacers switched to a three two zone, at the beginning yeah. of the third, that's what led to that. There was a twenty two to two run, largely because of the defense. I think there was like a, you know, three or four possession run where where TJ had two steals and, and breakaway transition opportunities and converted both of them because he's phenomenal at that. But um, yes. he was huge. I mean, he finished four four boards. I mean, not four boards, four blocks, four, three steals, four assists, which is passing has been really good too in the bubble. Yeah. So that's actually something I might – I'm thinking about like, the wheels are turning on that a little bit. But his passing <laughs> has been, you know, uh, markedly better than it was during the regular season. Not to say he was bad, but he's he's finding openings that he wasn't regularly. Yeah, I mean, he's going to have more opportunities. He keeps putting up the 
point totals because the defense is going to be, you know, sending more guys at them and, and, and giving them more opportunities to make key passes. But, yeah, I mean, those um, getting a couple of steals and, and getting runouts and kind of getting the Pacers rolling on those runs. You know, they were running the first half. They were a big run in the second half, which ended up being, you know, key because they kind of just were mad the rest, <laughs> the rest of the way and holding on. But, I, I mean, the guy is incredible when he gets that ball in the – on those runouts because he's not running away from anybody, but he can just get awkward with the finish and take a hit or take a, uh, you know, a guy defending him and get it in the bucket. Just, it seems like every time it seems like he never misses even when he gets fouled. So um, again, just so much fun to watch just because he's so smooth, no, no reaction. Um, but man, when he starts heating up, it's just getting the ball. Yeah, exactly. And I hope nobody keys in on it, but I've noticed, I think it's probably at least uh, maybe probably more than half the time when he's coming down in transition, it's always uh, right hand behind the back crossover uh, to his left <laughs> and he finishes that way. Uh, so I, and, and half the time it's into a Euro step too. So I, I'm hoping that doesn't get keyed in on, but uh, yeah, it's beautiful to watch. And I agree. He, he's not going to blow by anybody. Like he's not, it's not like he's a, an average athlete. I mean, obviously we're talking about guys who are world-class athletes, but in terms of just like speed right, and quickness right. and everything, he's like probably like a C plus guy, you know, like he's above average, but he's not going to blow away anybody. But yeah, his just, just his ball control and uh, the way yeah. that he's able to contort his body is pretty incredible. Yeah, the, the, the ball control and the body control. And it's just, you know, being able to stay on balance for to get his shot off and, and, you know, get it off clean. I mean, it, honestly, yeah, exactly. A legend, a legend from my youth, George Gervin. I mean, the guy is <laughs> is unbelievable. You can just uh, this is the Iceman, right? Yeah, I mean, the Iceman was ridiculous, but but I mean, this is you know, you get in the lane, you might get bumped, you might be moving to your left, but somehow squaring up and being able to to get the little floaters to go, it's just so much fun to watch. Yeah, and speaking of you know the body control and awesome fluidity, I mean, the Jakar Sampson finger roll has to be mentioned. You you saw that, right? I wasn't the only one who yeah. saw that. It happened. It happened. Yeah, I was I just making sure I didn't want to be dreaming or anything. But no, that was beautiful. I can't believe that happened. He broke that out. Uh he he's still been really good. He keeps like I think he's playing himself into a likely contract. Uh maybe not with the Pacers, because I don't know if we'll have room to resign him, but um he's definitely yeah. he, he's keeping the door open for for possibility. And I mean, he, he's doing what what the Pacers want and what kind of what exactly. they're paying him for. And, you know, his role, I don't think, um, you know, Justin Holiday's a guy I think will get more money than he's being paid oh, now. But, but Jakar is going to be the guy that isn't going to break the bank on a re-sign, um, most likely. Um, and also, you know, he's got to weigh in, factor in his fit with this team too and, and what opportunities he has and, and the way they play and all that. So, um, yeah, he'd be a, a guy that if they could keep him around, would be great. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going to be like a ten million dollar year player or anything, but I think he definitely, uh, he'll at least get a minimum contract, and I would yeah. be kind of surprised if he doesn't get a multi year contract. He's yeah, really that's well. a, that's the thing. I mean, you know, he's he's earned the years and, and a little more money, obviously, and, and really the pitchers don't have any room to play with right now. Though we have no idea what. But salary cap stuff is going to be now with, with all that's gone on this year. But, yeah, um, he definitely is, is, you know, become a 
a valuable guy, um, similar to Justin Holiday. Yeah, I totally agree. And so, you know, one one question I really have off of this game that I was thinking about, especially with how how many shots TJ's been taking, and he's getting the ball in pick and roll, which he really wasn't doing a ton during the season, just getting a lot of room to operate, and and he's done awesome with it. I think that's pretty undebatable. Um, obviously, you know, we need more sample size to know how well it's going to keep going, but he played against a really, really darn good team yesterday, uh, played really well again today. Um, so we'll see again against Orlando and, and moving forward, but you know, it just brings up for me, I haven't been around as, as long to not, not calling you old. I know we all, we do this once a podcast, but, um, <laughs> I already you know, did just, it with a George Gervin reference. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> um, I think George Gervin was retired like 10 years before I was born. So, there you that. Go. um, but you know, with, in terms of how everything's working out with Domas being out and, and the guys shifting around the lineup so much, uh, I just, it makes me not to be pessimistic, but it makes me wonder, uh, you know, just going into next year, how the shot hierarchy falls out and, and how guys are able to mesh that together. Because I feel like that was the one thing that was really going well this year prior to Vic coming back. And I think to Vic's credit, uh, you know, the first couple of games he shot himself out a little bit, which is fair because, you know, he's you're trying to get your best player back and in shape and uh, used to having the ball in his hands, getting in those in-game reps. So you're, that's worth doing. But then you look at it in terms of next year and you have these guys who are playing well and capable of doing stuff with the ball in their hands. And it's just you look at it and um, how do you get them to actually mesh together? Can they mesh together? Which I do think they can because they, they did it for a large portion of the year. Um, but then it just brings into question how do you make that all fall on the line and, and, and be at its best? Yeah, and, you know, it's funny. I kind of thought about a similar line of thinking you know, in the fourth quarter there. Um, and I'm just like, you know, the realize, realization that right now, I mean, TJ Warren is far and away the number one option right now. Yeah. I mean, you got you got to roll through him. And it just seems insane all of a sudden. Um, but, you know, when you're looking at this league and, you know, the Lakers and the Clippers and these teams, I mean, you can't have enough firepower. You, you know, you cannot have – um, too many guys that can that can go and light it up on a night, and you know we're always concerned about um, getting a superstar here and not letting them leave. Well, I mean you you know if you you need two in, in a lot of cases to to compete. So um, I I think that would be a great problem to have to see how that worked out. Um, the other thing is you know we are two games in and and. Warren has been a little bit up now. I got to give a shout out to uh, Pacers superfan Naptown Seth on Twitter today. He early in the game he was he was kind of ripping on TJ Warren as being that guy who's up and down a lot. And here we go, he's having a down game um, before uh, he had to come in with the mea culpa in the second <laughs> half. You know, I'll give I'll give uh, Seth credit for for getting uh, TJ going there, but but you know, I. We, we got to make sure everybody's healthy for one and then, you know, consistently reliable. But I, I think those are good problems that, that they have to work out and get um, as many guys that can get as many buckets as possible and let the, uh, the opponents figure out how they're going to do it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good point. And uh, I don't know. I think it just, yeah, I, I, I can't really disagree with any of that. And I, I one, one kind of last thought on that because my, my mind's turning. I know it's more of a future thing, but you look at it and you think about, I think Malcolm's been really, really good on ball this year. 
Um, but obviously, his, his, a lot of his shots, his, uh, his shooting percentages fell because he's taking a lot harder shots. You know, a lot of stuff right. off the dribble, a lot more contested. I'm really excited for him to get some more off-ball chances moving forward when Vic kind of rounds back into form a little bit. And I think he has been. But when, you know, I think down the line, there's a lot of opportunities for that. And you, you want, with TJ expanding on ball, uh, you just think about the way this, that these guys can expand off ball. And I think that there's a lot, there's a lot of potential there. So I'm excited. Uh, stuff's good. Uh, I, I, do you have any other closing thoughts? No, I'm, you know, looking forward to again, the back to back against a, a good Orlando team that, has uh, always been a common kind of issue. And for some reason, my guy, Terrence Ross, another UW one, mm-hmm. uh, comes off the bench and, and can kill the Pacers. And so, you know, thinking about the way the bench played the Bay, they're going to have to – Oh, they definitely uh, – to have to bounce back and, and give a little bit more tomorrow. And I, I would expect they would. Um, yeah. That group, group seems like um, they'll be ready to go. So, at least they don't have to travel. Um, but – um, again, I mean, can we get enough basketball here? I'm loving this. Definitely not. We can keep, just keep bringing it on. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah. I'll, well, one last thought. I, this is this could be the TJ McConnell game because he's playing one of the two players in the league that's smaller than him in DJ Augustine. <laughs> and post him up. Exactly. So we're going we're gonna to see it. It happens every time we play JJ Barea in the Mavericks. So <laughs> I think there's a, there's a good chance against DJ Augustine. So we'll see. Uh, thank you for listening, Tom. It was great talking uh, to everyone listening at home. Uh, stay tuned because my uh, pregame with Dante Marcatelli is coming up next. And today I am joined by Dante Marcatelli. He's a sideline reporter for Fox Sports Florida covering the Orlando Magic. Dante, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, Mark. It's good to be on with you here. How are things for you? Uh, things are really good. I'm uh, just kind of getting back into the swing of things with, with games being back and meaning something and uh, – it's good. I can't complain. This is my first real season covering a team and actually, uh, you know, getting, getting paid to do it, which is kind of crazy to be able to say sometimes still. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm enjoying the ride, man. Good for you, man. Well, that's the, that's the goal. Listen, there aren't many of these opportunities to get a chance to cover an NBA team and in whatever capacity you're able to do so. And, and to be able to earn a living, man, there's a lot of people that would uh, trade places with you in a second. You quickly find that out, don't you? Oh yeah. Business, yeah. I'm definitely, right? definitely lucky to be where I'm at. So, uh, just kind of getting right into it. I, I'm first of all, thank you again for joining me. Uh, number sure. one, uh, the Pacers, uh, I, I want to go in right away. Uh, I'll ask you right off the bat, how are you viewing, uh, the bubble and can you kind of carry things over from, from the, from the regular season before the hiatus? Well, it seems like it, you know, I, I would have thought, no, there's no chance the, mm-hmm. the way this team was playing. They were the best offensive team in the NBA, the 10 games after the All-Star break, and then even if you went the two games before it. So uh, before the hiatus, 12 games, they were clicking on all cylinders. They were almost 120 points per game, and no one else was putting that up in the NBA, and they seemed to have pushed the pace more. They were uh, stopped turning the basketball over. They were shooting a much better percentage, second best in the NBA, uh, just by moving the basketball. Just, it got everybody's energy up. They got them quicker in transition. And you think, okay, now this comes along. Uh, and you think, well, how are they going to be able to sustain that after all this time off, after not shooting a basketball for months? Evan Fournier literally did not shoot a basketball for three months, did not have a hoop at his house, uh, dribbled it, you know, and ran and kept it. You know, all these guys were in, in terrific shape. But, you know, a lot of them didn't have access to basketball hoops. So you're thinking there's just no possible way. Then you come back, you kind of slowly start working your way in. And 
that first scrimmage hits and you can't make a shot. The second scrimmage comes against the Lakers and you're a little better. Uh, but still, the shooting was woeful. And then kind of the floodgates opened in, during that Denver game. And then the first two games of the restart against Brooklyn and Sacramento, you know, not two great defensive teams, but still solid enough to be here. Teams that had a lot on the line and, and battling for playoff contention. And you're averaging 130 points a game in those two games <laughs> since you've restarted. So uh, it, it just, you know, the, the shot making is going to come and go. That's, that's something that you have to live with. But what is sustainable right now, Mark, is their energy, uh, the, the way they're moving with and without the basketball, the way they're committed to, you know, not having the ball stop. That's been a problem for this team. Get the ball and kind of pound the air out of it for eight to ten seconds and, until you find the shot that you want. But everybody's getting involved. Everybody's touching the basketball. They're pushing the tempo, and they're just shooting a blistering percentage right now. So uh, we hope that's here to stay. But even if the shot making comes and goes, this style and the way that they're playing right now, that is sustainable for the rest of the time that they're here in this campus. Yeah, definitely. I it that's really interesting. I had one of my main questions I was going to ask you was about the offensive kind of rejuvenation a little bit. First, I want to mention uh, obviously yesterday was pretty terrible. Uh, Jonathan Isaac tore his ACL uh, in a game against the Kings and non-contact injury. It was really unfortunate to see that because from everything I know, I mean, he's just a really hard worker and a great individual. Um, so that was definitely tough to see. No, it certainly was. And you think about how emotional it was, certainly down mm -hmm. here in Central Florida too, Mark, because we, we know what kind of guy he is. And we know he, he's as genuine a uh, human being as you're going to come, come in contact with. Not, not just NBA player or athlete human. I mean, this guy genuinely cares about everyone he comes in contact with. Uh, so so you, you feel a certain kind of way about the guy anyway. And I've been doing this for 22 years, and, and I don't know that I've had conversations with players or people that I've had like I have with him. I mean, he just cares that much uh, about people and his community. And it just means so much to him. So you know that about him, and you've got the guys back no matter what because of that. And then, you know, because he chose to stand for the anthem, which he certainly is entitled to do, and and it was, uh, it was, you know, that, that was his statement that he was making and he gave his reasons and has his convictions and everybody supports him for that. You, you certainly do. So you kind of circle the wagons again because, you know, you felt like he might have been unfairly attacked for, for some of that. And, and you know, we, we just love the guy and think the world of him. So all the emotion that goes into that and not to mention he hasn't played in seven months and he's kind of just making his way back and, and you're just proud of everything the guy stands for and, and what he means to this community and this team. And, you know, everybody supported him and does support him. And then, so you just have that, that, just that sweltering of emotion. And then he's back and you're thinking, okay, what does this team look like? You're glad for him because he worked so hard to be back. And then what does this team look like with him back now, uh, having him healthy in the lineup? And then that happens. And it just was such a gut punch. And, and it all is because of him, the kind of person that he is, how hard he worked to get here then you just genuinely feel so badly for him. Uh, but, you know, the prognosis is good. These ACL things, the, you know, the, uh, they happens a lot in professional sports, and, and the outlook is good, and we expect him to make a full recovery and be the same guy that he was. But obviously, it's a long setback, and, and you just feel badly for him and for this team. Yeah, it's uh, – I, I, I concur with everything you said, Nante. And it's, it's difficult because – we experienced that in Indiana last year with Victor Oladipo going down with his knee right. injury. And that was, I remember watching that live as well. And now that, that sucked, especially because he's, he's, I mean, you know, from, from covering him, I mean, he's a sure. phenomenal young man. Uh, I can't say young man, he's older than I am. What am I talking about? But uh, yeah, <laughs> right, no, right. he's a, he, he's a really great person. So I totally agree. It's difficult, especially when you see somebody that you're so connected with and you know, is so involved in the community. 
uh, definitely difficult. But uh, well, you know, moving Mark, on, to- Mark. Here's the thing, and, and oh, sorry. Here's the, oh, the no, last here's thing it. I'll say about that is, and, and you, you'd like not to, and and you can speak to this too because you cover the Indiana Pacers, and you're doing a great job from an objective standpoint, right? You're, you're trying to be objective. You're trying to be non-biased. Sometimes you have to be biased, and, and you, gen, you you just genuinely root for these guys when you get to know them and you're around them enough, and then when they're a great person on top of it, boy, then you really root for the guy, right? And it's, it's mm-hmm. the same thing with Victor Oladipo, and, and it's the same thing with Jonathan Isaac. There's a vested interest. You want them to do well, and you genuinely care about them, and, and then when they get hurt, you feel it too, right? I mean, that, that's, that's the tough part about being so close to it. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things that's been weirdest for me because I, I originally was running my own website and doing, I mean, I still do some stuff on the side covering the league as at large, uh, but actually, you know, getting in and, and being, uh, you know, involved. I mean, I, I got hired uh, the day after the NBA went on hiatus. So it's just been Zoom meetings and everything, but still, I mean, you're right. watching all the games, you're talking to the guys and, and get to sure. kind of get a perspective on everything and it's yeah keeping that making sure you're not biased is definitely something that has has been a work in progress um but you know getting into the into the games a little bit talking on that offensive rejuvenation is interesting because the magic go from being i mean the last couple years they've been a a high-end defensive team and the offense has always been the struggle for the most part especially in the playoffs last year against toronto and then you look at this year team was really good defensively to start the year was struggling on offense uh Coach Clifford, you know, kind of renews the offense a little bit. Uh, you can speak on that in a minute. I think a lot of that was, just from my opinion watching, a lot of that was just kind of handing Aaron Gordon the keys, but in a very different way than you, you're maybe accustomed to. Like, he's not running pick and rolls. He's not necessarily handling the ball any extra, but he's, he's getting the ball at the top of the post, you know, in the mid post a little bit, operating from there. And I, I found that really interesting. And the, the way that the offense was being used around him with a lot of cutters and movement was, uh, it was definitely – awesome to see but I think there I mean there was a pretty decent defensive drop-off and I wonder has that picked up a little bit in the in the in the in the bubble because I obviously you know like you mentioned it was uh, against two teams who aren't necessarily great defensively so it's uh, it's hard to gauge that yeah it is hard to gauge that and I I don't think they're where they need to be yet defensively They're, they're still I think 12th or 13th in the NBA as far as defensive efficiency and and you know Cliff would love to be in the top 10 uh, but so they're, they're inching closer and they've shown that they can do it for stretches. That, that's Cliff's big thing. We've shown we can be an elite defensive team. And they have much more energy on the defensive end, these two games and the restart, than they did, I, I think, probably at most points this year. Uh, so that is very encouraging to see. They're doing the right things. Guys have made difficult shots over them. Uh, they're giving up 117 points a game uh, inside this. But a lot of that's because, you know, for most of the fourth quarter, you haven't had to play your starters because you've mm-hmm. been up by 30. Uh, in, in these two games, and, and the team, you know, the, the opposing team has been able to climb back in. But they are doing some things better defensively, and I think it just starts with that energy. You hear Steve Clifford and Magic fans know it well. Purpose of play. You know, are you playing hard? Are you in the right spots? Are you paying attention to your assignments? Uh, and all that. Are you keeping your man in front of you? You know, all the, all the pillars uh, that he brings defensively. And they are better at that since they've restarted. It has not been the defensive year that we expected. It started last year defensively, January 29th, against the Indiana Pacers, ironically enough, in Orlando, <laughs> uh, where that and that game, something, a, a light bulb switched. And for the final, what, 21, 22 games of the season, they were the best defensive team in the NBA, hands down, bar none. They had something, something clicked, they locked in. They have not regained that defensive presence. Uh, they did it a little bit at the beginning, 
they were still, but a lot of that was teams were missing a lot of shots. And Orlando just could not make a shot for the first month of the season. I mean, it was tough to watch uh, offensively, just the struggles, getting good looks, just couldn't get them to connect. But they, they still have not, for whatever reason, and they've got some new pieces. They've got some moving parts and, and some new guys to work through. And, and those guys are learning the ropes. You know, Markel Fultz is a great addition. and He's learning the ropes. And you're trying to work back Mo Bamba. And so you've had some new pieces uh, that you're trying to work in. Uh, but they have hit their stride at times. And they've shown uh, they're terrific defensively at times. But uh, it, it's probably not where Steve Clifford would like. But it seems to be trending in that direction. Yeah, definitely. And so speaking on some of those new faces, uh, what did you see from Markel Fultz this year? And it's been interesting. I noticed he hasn't, uh, you know, in watching, I watched the Kings game yesterday. I didn't get to watch the game against Brooklyn, uh, but he was not starting and DJ Augustine was back in the starting lineup. So I was wondering uh, what your thoughts are on that and how, how he's looking overall. Well, it looks great. I, I think the, the only reason for that is, you know, he's the starting point guard. He's a starting point guard in the future mm-hmm. for this team. But when the team got on July 7th, when they went into the Disney campus, uh, Markel had a personal matter that he had to attend to. So he was out for about a week. And then when he came back, he had about a two or three day quarantine to make sure he was okay. And he has just gotten back to practice probably about 10 days ago. Okay. So all that is, is making sure his conditioning is where it needs to be uh, to return to the starting lineup and to make sure that he can do the 25, 30, 35 minutes a night. And so that, that a lot of it is just the conditioning and, and that'll come and it's, it's almost there. Uh, right now as we speak. So they ramped him up to a few more minutes, got about 20 last night, probably get 24, 25 in the next game. And uh, I would expect at some point he'll be back in that starting lineup. But that's the beauty of having a guy like DJ Augustine, a veteran journeyman, a a guy that can certainly step up. And he's been fantastic. He's been a godsend. He's been the best three-point shooter on this team for the last four years. So uh, he's been a a terrific guy to, to put in that place. But Markell was a guy, Mark, that you look at, almost a year ago, right? So, well, even a little bit more than that. So last June, he couldn't even shoot a free throw. When he got here, he couldn't even reach the basket from the free throw line because his shoulder was in that much pain. And he still continued to rehab, went through the work, and was ready by training camp in October uh, to go through a rigorous training camp. He was able to go through that, go through the entire preseason, and then he played all but one game this year for the Magic. And, you know, so he had to ramp everything up and I think he, I think it kind of took a toll on him, all that coming at him at once. So when the, when the NBA stopped, I think his body was ready to kind of reset a little bit and mm-hmm. kind of relax. So he kind of took a little time to, to collect his thoughts and, and kind of let his body heal. Uh, and that wasn't, had nothing to do with the shoulder. That was just general soreness from half of an NBA season, three quarters of an NBA season. So he did that. Then he ramped up his conditioning. He was in phenomenal shape and ready to go in, in as good a shape as anybody on this team when the uh, when they were going back to start training camp and, and he hit the ground running, but then he had to leave for that personal matter. So it's just getting working himself back up and getting his conditioning. But this guy is a tireless worker, and he's put himself in the position, you know, to really, I think, one of the better, one of the better stories in the NBA this year with how hard he's worked and, and the national attention that a number one pick gets and all the unfortunate things that he went through in Philadelphia – and, you know, mentally, physically, everything that he had to battle to get to this point, uh, he's just a quality individual, a great kid, a hard worker. And I, I really think it's a great story. And, and there's no doubt. And the shot looks better. He's one of the – believe it or not, since I, I think if you go back to January or middle of February, he's got one of the best field goal percentages from mid-range – one of the best mid-range jumpers in the NBA. 
going back, you know, the last 15, 20 games in the NBA. So he's starting to get – his shot is getting there. He's not extended to three yet uh, on a consistent basis, but the shot is coming. And then when he gets that, uh, then you really have to watch out. Yeah, it's it's funny because I, you know, I, I really like his game. I've been watching him a ton, just going back through his some of his film. And, I mean, he's taking threes, which I, I think that's a huge thing that people kind of underrate. He's not – obviously, like you mentioned, he's not making them – super well yet but the fact that he's taking them and trying to work on that yes. is huge and his mid-range looks incredible I mean his it's, it's odd you know it almost looks like he has two different jumpers like his three it still looks a little bit jerky you know not as bad as it was in Philadelphia of course but uh I mean when he's shooting from mid-range it looks so fluid compared to when he's and even at the free throw line he looks markedly better than he did last year um so, yeah, I, and, and you know what, and, and and you know, and the things coming, and he knows what he's got to work on, and he wants to be great. He wants to be elite. Mm-hmm. But this guy can get anywhere he wants on the basketball floor. The, the way he commands the basketball, oh, and movement. how how I love it. oh, it, it's unbelievable, and how he is in the paint. He's great defensively, and he still defers a lot. You know, he's coming into a team where he thinks, okay, this is Nick Vucevic's team. This is Evan Fournier. Got to get shots for Terrence Ross. So he's picking and choosing his spots when guys have been hurt and he's had to carry the load at the end of a game, he's done it. He's had big games. He's won big games for this team, uh, especially on the road. But for the most part, he's, he's kind of still feeling his way. So it's exciting to think, what is this guy going to be like this time next year or even two years from now? Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't have his age in front of me. He's, what, 21, 22 right now? So he's, he's still incredible. He's 22, young. right? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot of people discounted that. It's, I think it's great for him to be in Orlando, though. Not to say, you know, kind of in the same vein of Indiana a little bit. Sometimes guys like TJ Warren this year, he came here and he, he really popped off and, and had the best year of his career. I think it's huge going from the spotlight he was in in Philadelphia. To not say that it's a smaller spotlight in Orlando, but just sure. new surroundings have maybe a little bit of a smaller market with, you know, a team that's not uh, trying to be a contender right at the exact moment. I think that's huge for him. And, Definitely excited to see how that helps him moving forward. So, you know, kind of going off of that, uh, I want to ask, but what, what do you think a successful bubble kind of looks for the Magic uh, and, you know, just moving forward in the seeding games and into the playoffs? Well, I think you obviously got to make the playoffs. I think you got to get seven. You got to mm-hmm. hold off Brooklyn. Brooklyn's so decimated with injuries. If you are unable to hold them off, or even worse, if you found yourself in a play in situation with the Washington Wizards, I would not think you'd find that. Uh, a successful eight seeding games here inside the campus. Mm-hmm. This team should, you know, by all accounts, and knock on wood, that injury to Jonathan Isaac is certainly going to hurt them some. Um, but I, I think you got to get seven. And then that, does that get you Toronto? Does you know is Boston going to be able to get up there? You would think it would be Toronto is going to lock in that second spot. And then that's the defending champions. And I have no reason to think from what I've seen since this restart has happened. I have not seen much drop-off, Mark. I don't know if you have. From the Raptors last year to this year, they oh, look no, focused, really. right? They look focused. They look dialed in. They have zero weaknesses. So I, I think if you're the Magic, yeah, you go into every series hoping to win and expecting to win. But I, I think you really you just got to extend that series as much as you can. I mean, if you're able to push that thing six or even seven games, or, I mean, who knows? Who knows what happens between now and then? And maybe they catch lightning in a bottle, rally around this Jonathan Isaac injury, and, and can you upset somebody? in the first round. Obviously that would be tremendous, but I think, you know, a long way to get there to answer your question is get the seventh seed, probably draw Toronto, extend that to six or seven games. If you can make it a series, 
Mo Bamba gets more practice. Markel Fultz gets to go through a postseason for the first time. These guys gain valuable experience, and I think that only helps this team going into next season. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I really I really like the way you phrased all that. I think it's a lot about just moving forward and uh, trying to figure out, you know, how this team can keep getting better and um, what they, you know, just building off playoff experience because I feel like that's been Indiana recently in the last couple of years. Um, so it's, you know, but not I, to say, but as you yeah. well, but as you well know, and it's going to be the same for Indiana fans that are listening, there's no home court advantage. There's no, oh, no. travel. You know, you you know, Indiana doesn't have to go to a hostile Boston garden or, or down mm-hmm. to South beach or, or, or whatever, you know, wherever they're going to play. You, you don't, you don't have to contend with those fans. You don't have the travel. You don't have all that goes with it. So I think it levels the playing field. So I, I think you know, everybody talks about, you know, you might see a seven or an eight seed upset somebody. It, that could happen too, Mark. I'm not, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility here in this postseason either. Oh yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, the, now that we've hit kind of a sense of normalcy, I think, uh, the, you know, the general fan or person watching the game is maybe looking at it more in terms of how it relatively tends to be. And I think that we could definitely see some pretty wild stuff happen this postseason, especially without, sure. you know, just all the data backing how significant home, home field advantage is. Uh, I think that could play a significant part. Um, so that'll be very interesting to see. I'm, I, I, I have a lot of my own, like, theories and thoughts on how that's going to work out, but I, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. And mainly just happy to have basketball back. Um, but, you know, I think going off of that, I, you know, this team is – the bubble is where the team is. You know, all the guys live around there. Uh, do you think that – I mean, has, have any of the guys mentioned about it maybe being tougher to kind of be away from home but being so close to it? Because that's so different from I know. all the other teams. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just such a tease, and it's so tantalizing because you're – you know, you're in this environment where you can't see your family, you can't see your, your wife or kids or significant other or, or parents or siblings, whoever, friends, lifelong friends. A lot of these mm-hmm. guys have their, you know, their best friends since middle school that uh, live down here with them and, and spend time with them. And, and you can't see them. You're, you're isolated from all of them. So uh, for the Magic, knowing that their house is 10, 15 minutes away. Terrence Ross said the other day, I'd love to go home for 10 minutes. Just go home for 10 minutes, sit on my bed, eat something out of my refrigerator, go back inside. <laughs> because I can't because <laughs> yeah. it's right there. You know, it's 10 minutes away. You love to see it. So, I, yes, I, I think it's in, in some ways it's worse. Whereas the Los Angeles Lakers are coming here, there is not a hint that, that they could ever at any point be, go to their house or, or see anybody. They are here. They're locked in. They realize they're 3,000 miles away, and that's not going to happen. So, But on the flip side, I, I think in the back of the magic, and I've not heard anybody say this, but I got to think just, just from being a, a parent myself and, you know, and, and obviously that knowing that God forbid, if something were to happen, if there were to be a situation or somebody wasn't feeling well or, or you had to leave and you needed to be home in 20 minutes, you can do it. And I, I got to think there's peace of mind. You know, all of us travel. And when I travel with the team and we're in Portland, I know, God forbid, if something were to happen, you know, one of our kids falls and gets stitches or whatever it is, you know, I I can't be there. I can't be there till the next day, you know, coming home from Portland. So I do think there's comfort knowing they can get to something if they have to. So that's got to be a little little settling. But still, at the same time, you're right there. You're 10, 15 minutes from your house and you can't go see it. And so that's so that part, that part is tough. Yeah, definitely. I I think those are all really great points. And I also think I look at um, you know, just in terms of like, I don't know if you've ever seen the study of when you, when you take a test in, in college or wherever, you should be sitting in the same place where you were in lecture. 
because it, it just helps you with remembering things. And so you kind of look at that almost with, with these players are around where they're at, you know, you're in Orlando still, maybe that has some kind of minor benefit. Who knows anything, anything's possible as Kevin Barnett once said. Um, yeah. So, right. But the other thing too is like, yeah, that's a good point. And I, and I don't know cause I never studied, so I never was able to pick up on the, on the, on the lecture <laughs> part, but uh, no, but, but that's a good point. But I, but the magic have played, zero games ever in any of these arenas mm-hmm. so i so from a from an actual physical playing standpoint this is brand new to them just like it is to everybody else which is which is kind of which is kind of interesting yeah definitely um so you know kind of moving into the playing again a little bit um when when you're looking at this team uh who do you think would be somebody who's a a tough matchup for orlando and then b all else you know we can specify and who may might be a tough matchup for indiana well, I just think, I mean, they're all tough, right, up there at the top. I, I th- the, the general consensus seems to be you don't want anything to do with Milwaukee, right? It seems to be that that seems to be what everybody's saying is, you know, you don't want to touch the Milwaukee Bucks. They seem destined, best record in the NBA. Everyone just it seems to give them carte blanche and they're going to roll through the East and go right to the NBA Finals. That all seems to be predetermined four months ago. But I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that they're the same team. And, and that, you know, they're a lot of what they do is predicated on outside shooting. They're the best defensive team in the NBA. But if they're not making shots, maybe there is a chink in the armor, and you're able to do that. Toronto beat them last year, uh, so I think they're feeling comfortable. I, I Toronto to me, it, it's just you know the conventional wisdom would be avoid Milwaukee and draw the Raptors. You beat them once last year. You almost beat them a second time in Orlando in game three. Maybe you can give them a run now that they don't have Kawhi Leonard. But Marcus Gasol is such a problem for Nick Vucevic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he just is, he's, you know, multiple-time defensive player of the year. Uh, so that just doesn't – just and you don't have Jonathan Isaac to throw on Pascal Siakam, but you don't have Jonathan Isaac to throw on Giannis Adetokounmpo either. So uh, to me, those two are almost interchangeable. I, I think they are as elite as it gets, those two teams. So I, I think that's kind of a draw, and not that you'd want – Boston by any means, but I, you know, I think I went into this thinking it'd kind of be nice if the Magic could get to seven and the Celtics could get to three or could get to two. Maybe they make up that ground. It just doesn't seem like that's going to happen. And then just because we don't know, you know, Boston, you know, we're zero two against the Celtics this year, so it's not like we're lighting, you know, lighting the world on fire against them. But you know, try something new. Right? We we feel like it'd be tough against Milwaukee. We know how hard it is against Toronto in a postseason. Uh, maybe to try a new team, but it doesn't feel like it's going to head that way. So uh, they they got to exercise their demons, maybe, and, and take on Toronto head on. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I think t- taking either of those teams on is not something that I would want to look forward to. I no. think that there's maybe more you can uh, do against. I think you can be a little bit more optimistic about stopping Toronto. Uh, the idea of trying to stop Giannis and the Bucks is just like I I can't even imagine the. The right, don't have, you think? Don't, yeah, even though the, it's been all that time off, don't you feel like that's still the most that, that's still the best team in the East? Oh yeah, definitely. I think Giannis looks so good. I, did you watch the Rockets game last night? Yes. Oh my gosh, <laughs> he looks incredible. I know that they lost, but I felt like it was more just that Houston had a really, really great performance that I think would be hard to replicate in a seven-game series. But I mean, Giannis was incredible last night. Oh, he was incredible. I, I did. You know, you're exactly right, and there's putting up numbers that we've never seen before, and it's video game-like. But Toronto has proven you can maybe kind of you – know, they had Kawhi, and then you, when you don't have Kawhi, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, can you, maybe, can you maybe find a way to double him and make some of the other guys beat you? And if they have off nights, you know, maybe could, you know, could there be a way? But, 
you know, they've got, they, they still don't have, they, they still haven't brought uh, Eric Bledsoe back yet. Wait till he gets back going. And he's such a big part of this thing. Um, but I, you know, they've just got so much shooting, so much shooting and they don't have to switch. They don't have to double you and they don't have to switch. They play you defensively man to man, which nobody does anymore in the NBA. Uh, they don't need help. And, you know, they'll live and die with you shooting the three. They're fine. You are not going to get to the rim against Milwaukee. And we have so many – we have – our offense is predicated on paint touches. You have to get the ball in the paint and then kick out to shooters. And they do not let you do that. <laughs> that just is, that's just a nightmare matchup, I think, for so many teams. Oh, 100%. And so that's actually interesting going back to the Toronto series a little bit. Um, I, I don't really know anything about Vooch, uh, out, you know, outside of uh, what he yeah. does on the court. I imagine he's probably pretty hungry to play in the playoffs this year because he struggled last year. I, I believe he shot under 40% in the five-game series against Toronto. And he just, like you mentioned, he struggled a lot with Marcus Hall. So I think, you know, just knowing uh, his ability as a player, I'm sure he is uh, pretty eager to get back and, and prove himself in the playoffs. Oh, there's no doubt. There, there's no doubt. And there was so many – last year was such an emotional year for him. He was an all-star. He's been, you know – for him, you know, last year was year seven in Orlando. So for six years, it had been misery. I mean, it had been a lot of losing. Great things personally for him. He was a great player, double-double, 20-10 and 10 guy. But just from, from success on the floor, there just hadn't been any. Uh, then he finally gets recognized as an all-star. So that was emotional for him. Uh, and then when they clinched that playoff spot in Boston, second to last game of the year, just overcome with emotion. I'll never forget that scene in the locker room. Just, you know, as soon as he walked, you know, we did the walk-off interview with him and and Evan Fournier, and I'm talking to him on the floor, and he's trying to collect his thoughts. And then they go in the locker room and just got doused with water. I mean, everybody just gave him Gatorade bath, water bath, because those are the guys. You know, and Booch is the, the longest tenured Magic player. He's going to go down as one of the greatest Magic players of all time. And he, he, he wanted to be here. He signed a contract in the offseason because he wants to see this thing through. So uh, he's just a fantastic player, fantastic person, uh, great for this community. And to, to get to the postseason, to finally bring them back, and then to not have the kind of series that he would like to have had was frustrating for him. But, you know, he's the leader of this team, and we go as he goes. And I know he, he doesn't shy away from anything, and I know he'd love to take that challenge on again and, and meet Marcus all head on, and he'd love to beat him. and He'd love to have a completely different series than what happened last year. you got to remember, none of these guys had been to the playoffs ever mm -hmm. in, their, in their current capacity. Booch went – played a couple of games as a rookie in Philadelphia, you know, seven years ago. And so, they, they, you know, some guys, Evan Fournier went as a rookie. Terrence Ross had been there with, with Toronto, ironically, but none of them in their current roles as the guy, the main cog, uh, of, you know, kind of cog in the wheel. So that, that was all a new experience for them, Booch included. So I think they've all got that under their belt, and I, I know they'd love to get there again and, and try it again uh, in their current capacity. Yeah, definitely. I, 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 I'm, I'm excited to see Orlando in the playoffs. And so, you know, kind of going off that as well, I think um, in terms of the game tomorrow, I, uh, I don't want to say I'm worried about it, but I think Vooch proposes a pretty he, – he's probably the player who I'm most worried about mashing up with, um, who I think provides the most difficulties for the Pacers, I should say. Uh, Miles Turner is a really good rim protector. He's a good player, but he does struggle against players who can dominate in the post the way that Vooch does. Uh, we saw that in, you know, I don't, I don't know if you saw the Philadelphia game, but uh, Miles struggled a lot with Joel Embiid, as he normally does. Um, he just doesn't have the lower body strength to contend with a guy like that. And Vooch is an incredibly strong player, really, really good in the post. So I do think he poses a lot of mismatch issues for, 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 for the Pacers tomorrow. 
Well, and, and Pacer fans that are that are listening, you're going to see a Nick Vucevic. He, he's, I think he's the most skilled big man in the NBA. I, oh, you look at Joel Embiid, yeah. right? Right? Don't you think? I mean, he's got to be up there. He's definitely top three. His his post moves are incredible, and he's a really good. He's a smart passer. You know, I like his passing a lot. He passes really well out of the post. Absolutely. Um, he's got really good touch. I think. Yeah, he's a very underrated player. I think he's very good. Yeah, and then. There's nobody in the NBA that has the numbers that he has when you factor in assists, which you just mentioned, three-point shooting, his ability to score and rebound. I mean, he, he's, in a, he's in a class of one or two people. It was Carl Anthony Towns who was the only one that can, can kind of do the things that he can do from an offensive standpoint. So he, he's so skilled and gifted offensively. But the centers that are kind of physical with him are the ones that give him fits. So, you know, that's a, a guy that's a thorn in our side, giant thorn in our side, is Demata Sabonis, mm-hmm. and you know we were absolutely gutted for Indiana fans you know, to find out about his injury, and and he wasn't going to be able to play because we know how much he means. He's an all star. How much he means to to that to that pacer core. Uh, but that's a guy that has really really hurt the Orlando Magic just the way he plays and how hard he plays, and we've never really had an answer for him. Uh, so that's different. Now you got to defend a, a T.J. Warren coming off a, a career fifty three. But Steve Clifford is is so good, just like Nate McMillan is. You give a guy like that a day or two to put a game plan together, then it, it's it's going to be airtight. I mean, they're going to come up with a with a terrific game plan. But Indiana has been a very difficult team for us to to try to figure out here the last couple of years, and and already have lost the first two meetings this year. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they play without Demata Sabonis and and kind of who's going to step in and and, and kind of fill that void. But we know T.J. Warren is, is a capable shooter, and after a 53 point performance the other day, Victor Oladipo. Uh, is going to be extra motivated going against his former team. Miles Turner, th- that guy always plays us well. He plays he plays so hard, and he'll get a he'll get a big offensive rebound and kick it out for a dagger three. Uh, he made a big three against us last year that that won a game for the Pacers. So he's a guy that's hurt us. Uh, so there's a number of guys on that Pacer roster that that just seem to give uh, Orlando fits. T.J. McConnell, you watch. I'm going to tell you this right now. Uh, T.J. McConnell is a guy that is going to be a huge problem for the Orlando Magic tomorrow. There is something about – I don't know if we just see T.J. and for whatever, you know, think, he, okay, he's six feet, he's not going to hurt us. We do not play well. He, he Go back to his days in Philadelphia. He will have a big game and a huge impact on that game tomorrow. I'm going to tell you that right now. I can tell uh, you, you know, exactly why. This has actually been brought up in, uh, in Pacer Lore a little bit. Because uh, TJ, other than DJ Augustine and JJ Barea, he's just about the smallest player in the NBA. So anytime he gets a chance, he, uh, he just makes it his mission to destroy anything that, that JJ Barea or DJ Augustine touches. So I, I definitely well, am looking forward to All that tomorrow. Well then, well, then there you go. Then, then I, maybe you'll, see a lot more of Markel and Michael Carter Williams on <laughs> to try and combat that. But, but that has been, he has been a thorn in our side. So I, he just is a game. There's, there have been many games where he's been involved, where the magic have been on their way to blowing out Philadelphia or blowing out the Pacers, make a substitution, come in with TJ McConnell. And, and really, I think it was last year too, with Doug McDermott, um, we bring in those two guys and then completely change the, the whole landscape of the game. Uh, and, and either brought them back or or blew, or pulled away. So he's always been just a just a huge problem. So I, I know he will be a factor. Will it be enough to win? We'll have to see. This team is just playing so well right now. So they're hoping that their shot making can continue and that they can lock in a little bit more defensively. And 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 really, you know, Mark, the thing you got to contend with is they're hurting. 
they are hurting without their guy, uh, Jonathan Isaac. And, and you saw that, I'm sure, for the first couple of games, scrimmages, when you found out the news about Demodis Sabonis. I'm mm-hmm. sure they were a little slower, uh, kind of had a slow step uh, until they kind of were able to recover. But I, I expect them to be a little punched in the gut to start the game, but they got to quickly get over it, and it's got to be next man up. And, and we'll see. But either way, it should be a terrific battle tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm really excited for it. Uh, well, Dante, thank you for coming on. What are you uh, What are you looking forward to just this week in general? Maybe not even outside basketball. What do you got going on? Well, I love that we're back, man. I, you know, I people talk about sports and to say everything that's going on in this country and you know how trivial sports can be and and yeah, in the grand scheme of things, when it comes to a pandemic or uh, social injustice issues, absolutely. But as you well know, and, and what drives you and I and everyone else in this industry to do this is sports brings communities together. It brings all races together. It brings all ethnicities together. Everybody coming together for a cause, for a team. And it's not just basketball. It's hockey. Hockey started. We got baseball going. And I hope, hope and pray that they're able to find a way uh, to stay safe and healthy and get through that. I hope they're able to bring football back. Just for me, it just bringing sports back. And allowing that outlet, again, not taking away from this terrific movement we have in this nation right now and, and, and keeping that conversation moving and, and continue to fight for those cause, but providing also entertainment and a bit of a respite for what everyone else is going through. Uh, to be on the front lines of that, to be a part of that, Mark, that, that, that's what we live for. And we, we get to tell these stories. We get to have these conversations. You know, you and I aren't locked in a room trying to figure out, okay, how do we cure this? How do we come up with this? This is entertainment. This is fun. This is what we live for. And to be able to finally tell those stories again and watch those games, that's what I live for. I think this is great to have sports back. And I hope that in a small, small way, we can kind of help the healing process and kind of help bring communities together. That's what I love and that's what excites me uh, daily and, and throughout the rest of this NBA season. I fully agree, and I, I, I can't fault any of that. I, I feel very similarly. I love just being able to – you know, I'm lucky to be able to do this and uh, enjoy it so much. I think it's there's just so much to it that, that is enjoyable and, and, and I love doing. So I, I, can't, I can't disagree with any of that. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. So everyone listening at home, please be sure to go rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Spotify and anywhere else you can listen to, to podcasts. And – Uh, Check us out on IndieCornrows.com. Thank you and have a good rest of your day.